Percy, what are some of the ways that you've seen people respond emotionally when they receive a cancer diagnosis? You know, Wayne, it's a great question. How about some individuals being mad or upset, frustrated, depressed, uh, despondent, and even scared to death? Oh, I can understand. And we'll talk about that today with the author of Faith Over Fear, My Journey Through Bone Marrow Cancer. The following program is produced and sponsored by Cancer Treatment Centers of America. The information discussed during this program is not medical advice. Be sure to talk to your medical doctor for information and advice relating to your health. I welcome you to Health, Hope, and Inspiration. I'm Wayne Shepherd with Reverend Percy McRae, Director of Faith-Based Programs at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Those emotional responses, boy, they can floor us, can't they? They can floor us, and they can certainly throw us for a loop, but it's not necessarily how we start, but how we finish, and how do we process through those emotional feelings. Yeah, we need to allow people ways to respond. Oh, absolutely, because, again, we're human. We're initially shocked and traumatized by hearing that we have cancer, and we need to allow people ways and times to be able to respond to those emotional feelings. But ultimately, faith trumps fear, doesn't it? At the end of the day, faith always will trump fear, and so we are moved and convicted to believe that when we work through the process of that, our faith will stand the test of any element that is sitting in front of us. We have so many good friends listening right now. I'm sure many have experienced cancer and learned something from the process. So can we put that question out there for our listeners? Yeah, the question today that we'd like to get a response from you today listening is, what was something you learned during your cancer journey? What was something that you learned during your cancer journey that may help others while they're going through their cancer journey? To answer that question, go online to hhiquestions.com. It'll be very obvious there how to submit your answer, and we look forward to hearing from you. What was something you learned during your cancer journey? hhiquestions.com. Now, our website, healthhopeandinspiration.com, has a free resource for you. It's called Ways to Respond to Cancer Patients, and this is very important because for the person who's battling cancer, there are feelings of sadness, there's confusion sometimes, and anger sometimes. It's hard for family and friends to know what to do or how to respond in a way that is helpful and hopeful. Percy, this resource can help. Absolutely. And in this resource, we help you to work through just some very basic responses. First and foremost, how to respond from your heart, not trite, rote answers. Respond from your heart. We give you some tips and some things to think about there, about being dependable. If you say you're going to do something, Mm -hmm. do it. If you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. And then show your strength. Showing the strength of yourself to someone dealing with cancer can and will strengthen them. And then also, which is huge, respecting people's privacy. Understanding at the end of the day that information that's shared to you is not necessarily community information. And we need to make sure that people know that we will respect and honor their privacy while going through cancer. So those are some things and many more that this document will help unpack for you. Well, there's no obligation, certainly, to downloading this resource, no cost involved. So go online to healthhopeandinspiration.com and download Ways to Respond to Cancer Patients. With locations in Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia, Phoenix, and Tulsa, Cancer Treatment Centers of America is a comprehensive cancer care network that takes an integrative approach to cancer care. They use conventional medical treatments to attack the disease while helping patients manage side effects and maintain their quality of life by using evidence-informed therapies like nutrition and naturopathic support along with pastoral care 
pain management, and other supportive care services. Treatments are tailored for each patient's specific needs. Visit our website, healthhopeandinspiration.com, click on Sponsor to learn more about Cancer Treatment Centers of America, or contact one of their friendly oncology information specialists by calling 866-712-HOPE. That's 866-712-HOPE. Cancer Treatment Centers of America uses state-of-the-art technologies to deliver precision medicine, personalized care, and spiritual support. You can learn more at healthhopeandinspiration.com. And we always learn more when we turn to God's Word. And Percy, you're holding uh, the Bible right now. Yes, sir. Our spiritual nugget for today to help frame our conversation, Psalms 27. And how important is this thought found in verse 13 and 14? Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous, yet wait patiently for the Lord. Today, we want you to be encouraged around the fact that you can and will see the goodness of the Lord while yet still in the land of the living. All right, Percy, let me turn it over to you in a conversation you recorded recently with a special guest who joins us now. Well, I am excited. Today with me is Sherry Pratt, who is a cancer patient who treated at Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Chicago. Uh, And we have her with us on the show today. Welcome, Sherry. How are you, my dear? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. And uh, we want to hear your story a little bit and, uh, and talk about your journey And speaking of journeys, you have written a book called Faith Over Fear, My Journey Through Bone Marrow Cancer and Bone Marrow Transplant. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your journey as a bone marrow transplant patient and all that has taken place. First and foremost, uh, exactly when were you diagnosed? I believe the timeline that I have appears to be uh, 2014. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Okay, so 2014, uh, you're you're originally diagnosed, and as a result of a third opinion, uh, you found your way to Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Chicago. Is that correct? That's right. So let's talk about the day that you were uh, diagnosed and told that you have cancer. As I scanned through your book, one of the things that stood out to me, uh, Chapter 3 in particular, Uh, You've titled My Reaction, and it says here, when I first got this diagnosis, I was mad, frustrated, depressed, despondent, and scared to death. Let's talk about the day that you were originally diagnosed and some of the emotions that you described there in your book. Okay. Well, um, that's exactly what it was. I was afraid. I was mad, um, confused, and a little bit in denial. Um, I had always exercised and eaten right and I'm a health coach and taught people how to do you know eat right Mm -hmm. and exercise and take care of themselves and here I am with a diagnosis with a rare blood cancer so I was pretty um, upset but knew that I had time to with this kind of disease you usually have four or five years to figure out what it is you're going to do and how you're going to treat and um, so I was pretty much in denial. Okay. I had a had a hard time to go through just trying to accept the fact that I did have cancer. Well, that you know, that's not necessarily untypical at all. I mean, you know, many uh, cancer patients, I think, experience a wide range of emotions, and some of the ones that you've just mentioned and highlighted 
are certainly part of that. You you also made reference to the fact, and I wanted to mention this in the introduction, so thank you for bringing it up, uh, is the type of cancer that you had, uh, which is uh, myelodysplastic syndrome or MDS. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you said, how rare uh, this particular diagnosis is and specifically what was it? It's a type of blood cancer, and the MDS uh, word, myelodysplastic syndrome, has about seven different types hmm. of MDS that you can have, Okay, and they all affect the three lines of blood that you have, the white blood cells, the red blood cells, and the platelets, and it can be a combination of all three or two of those, or just one of those. Okay. And my specific type was called refractory anemia with um, ringed sideroblast. Short name for that is RARS, R-A-R-S. Okay. And it affected my red blood cells. So when I was first diagnosed with it, I had a decrease in my red blood cells over a few years, and it just kept trending down. And that's what um, that's what it turned out to be after my third bone marrow biopsy. And yeah, that, that is highly uh, clinical and technical, obviously. Uh, <laughs> you And again, according to the uh, title of your book, uh, the process and approach to treating your cancer was a, a bone marrow transplant. And, you know, there, there may be individuals who may not be very familiar or who may not have heard of a bone marrow transplant. Uh, if you don't mind, explain to the audience a little bit what what your process was and what was the process without getting too clinical of, of a bone marrow transplant. What exactly did that entail? What in my, my type of uh, blood cancer that I had, my stem cells were damaged. So I had to have a donor, a human donor mm -hmm. to uh, donate stem cells to me. And so the, what they what the process that you go through is they find a match for oh, you okay. and then you, what they do is they give you a chemo, and then they give you the stem cells uh, from your donor, and you wait for those to find their way in your bones and start growing and bring your red blood cells back up and your platelets and your uh, white blood cells. It just takes time, 100 days. The whole process is 100 days before you can go home. And so needless to say, this is a very difficult a clinical path, the, uh, obviously, that, yes. that one has to endure mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So let's shift right. gears and let's, and let's talk a little bit about how you managed to, again, uh, allow your faith to over uh, overcome your fear. And that's the title of your book, Faith Over Fear. But I also want to um, make the point that you have now not received treatment active treatment for your cancer since uh, April 2017. That was your last treatment that you received, and you're just receiving six months of assessment on an ongoing basis at this time, correct? Right. That's right. And physically, how are you feeling and how are you doing, dear? I feel great now. Um, when I first came home, which is, you know, after the first 100 days, it takes almost two years for things to get back to normal in your energy level and your mindset because you don't have any energy still and uh, depression can set in. So you really have to mind your mind, mm -hmm. as I say. So, um, but now I feel great. I, I still have some aches and pains and there's some side effects from chemo that I endure and some graft versus host disease, which is 
normal when you have a bone marrow transplant where you have a donor. Mm -hmm. I have a little bit of that in my skin. But other than that, I'm almost back to normal. Well, praise God for that. Uh, That's a great report. One of the dynamics that we try to highlight here on the show is that while cancer treatment may be rigorous and difficult, at the end of the day, potentially there can be good news. And that certainly is part of your story. Let's talk a little bit about your faith. The title of your book is Faith Over Fear. So apparently you are a woman of faith. Let's talk about the importance of your faith when you were told that you had cancer and during the rigorous process of a bone marrow transplant. When, where, and how did your faith come into play in this process? Well, when I was first diagnosed, like I said before, I had moments of total panic and dread about what was going to happen to me. Mm. Um, And I got tired of going through those moments of dread and panic. So I decided that if David could face a Goliath, that I could do it too. And mine would just be called cancer. Okay. So I got into God's Word, heavily into His Word every day. And I learned that His Word is His medicine. It truly is. And I also learned that expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. Mm. And I learned that from Rod Parsley, who is a pastor. Mm who had written several books, and um, he wrote a book for uh, the Jub- the year of Jubilee, and it, actually it was a Bible. He wrote some devotions in that Bible, mm-hmm. and I started studying those along with the Word of God. And um, I decided that my mantra was going to be, thank you, Jesus, for my healing, that I was going to go ahead and thank Him for my healing, as if it had already happened. Uh-huh. And um, I read 100 over 100 Bible verses every day. I put uh, those verses in frames around my house. I had a friend make me a flip chart of those verses. Wow. And I just submersed myself in God's Word. And that's when my faith started to get stronger. And just for and, and I'd like to clarify, because, again, uh, what's important for for the message of this show and the balance of of our message is that uh while you were immersing yourself in the Word of God, and actually, uh, as I'm looking at your book, Chapter 4, uh, is titled The Year of Jubilee, so you made reference to that, is that, you know, you relied upon God's Word to be a type of medicine unto you, but you were still undergoing clinical treatment and care. And I think it's important to make the distinction that you were not suggesting that you replaced your clinical treatment of cancer with simply applying the Word of God to you, that you were doing both at the same time. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. That's right. And and that there was no conflict or, or contradiction within your, within your being about that, and that you were standing on the Word of God, you were immersing yourself in the Word of God, but you were also going through your clinical process because there are still individuals that may struggle with, uh, you know, do I pursue a clinical process while uh, utilizing my faith. And you did both at the same time. And so you're here to help to substantiate the fact that both uh, can work together and should work together. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Right. With that being said, then, how have you progressed from there? And again, you talked about it being, you know, a couple of years of returning back to normal, for lack of a better term. And uh, one of the things that I've learned with supporting cancer patients is that 
in many cases, there is a new normal that cancer patients experience uh, in getting on the other side of, of treatment and care. What are some of the new normalities in your life today that you've had to make adjustment as a result of being a cancer patient? Well, um, I do not have the stamina that I used to have. And um, I don't know if that's just because I've gotten older, but I have read many articles about bone marrow transplant and chemotherapy and how sometimes it can age you. So I do feel a lot older, a lot faster, Mm. I guess. But um, I'm working through that. I'm going, trying to go to the gym and stretching these muscles and trying to exercise, which is something that we probably should all do anyway. Sure. But I do feel like I have, you know, I have aged pretty quickly uh-huh. through the process. Gotcha. I'm scanning your, your book, and one of the chapters here talks about chapter six, how God places people in your life for many reasons. Who were some of the people that God placed in your life, and what were maybe one or two of the reasons for the placement of that individual that you now can look back on and reflect upon? Well, one of those is a friend of mine who, um, her her name is Susan. She's a friend of mine. And she came to visit me um, when I was getting ready to go in one path, one direction of taking a specific type of drug, but I just didn't feel right about it. Mm-hmm. But she came to visit me a week before I was to start that treatment. And she just asked me, you know, have you ever thought about maybe going to another place or getting another opinion or maybe just looking for an alternative mm-hmm. than doing this since you feel so bad about it. And I just said, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I did feel bad about it. And, and on the Friday of that week, and she had talked to me Wednesday, my third opinion just popped up in front of me. Hmm. And I, you know, ran it by my siblings and said, what do you think I should do? And they all said, you need to go for that third opinion and that's where I ended up and and so that woman Susan is a very good friend of mine and I'm glad she felt the tug in her heart and she opened up and said something to me about it it's interesting because um, one of the other dynamics of things that I work with it's a uh, uh, a cancer care leadership training group called our journey of hope and we train churches and pastors and local faith leaders Uh, on how to start cancer care ministries inside of their local congregations. And one of the things that we openly uh, share with them that many people now openly talk about is, you know, when in doubt, when you're initially told uh, something about your health from a medical perspective, if you're not satisfied or if you're not clear, you know, get a second opinion, receive a second opinion. In your case, you did that on three separate occasions. Um, How beneficial for you uh, was it and how difficult was it to go through three different opinions before you finally landed upon a, a course of treatment? Let's talk a little bit about the process of how you work through uh, getting three opinions and, and what motivated and, and maintained you in the midst of that. My first opinion that I got, I could feel something was just not right. Okay. So without telling him, I went and got a second opinion in a different city, okay. not too far from where I live. And that doctor was, a, he was a specialist in MDS, and they kind of agreed on treatment. It's a wait-and-see disease sometimes, mm-hmm. so wait-and-see for two or three years and try different drug therapies. And But I still didn't feel right about it. I knew that what I was doing was not, per se, a cure. It was not, uh, it was just a quick fix. Okay. And um, 
the third opinion was just God stepped in because I kept praying to him, tell me what to do, give me a sign. And he definitely gave me a sign. Okay. Okay. So then I would assume then, obviously, with that being stated, you are a strong advocate of encouraging people uh, to trust your instincts, uh, to really look at your relationship with your uh, physician and the comfort level there. Because, again, I think what I hear often from cancer patients is that they feel that they need and want to be in a partnership. They want to feel like that they're on the same page with their physician and a comfort level there. And then obviously uh, allow uh, however God may, however God may speak to you to, to give you a sense of direction with regard to your treatment and what you should do. Would that be fair to say that's what I've heard you suggest that, that you did and people should do? Right. Okay. Right. I think God gives us discernment. He gives us the ability to have discernment and when you feel that tug and you get still, you can hear him, and I think you should act on it. Well, having said all of that, apparently that has worked for you. Here you are, you know, after all of those processes, you know, originally being diagnosed in 2014, you know, on the other side of treatment at this point, still being assessed. You've written a book. Let's talk about your book. What motivated you to write this book? Faith Over Fear, My Journey Through Bone Marrow Transplant. And what is the Lord doing with you, I guess, from a ministry perspective right now with your testimony? Well, the book um, came about because after I came home, you know, you have a lot of time to rest. And I found some Facebook groups that um, related to bone marrow transplant. Ah. And people were asking questions. I mean, question after question. What do I expect uh, from the transplant? How long does it take? Mm -hmm. uh, when can I go home? What about my caregiver? Lots of questions. And I was finding myself answering over and over and over again. So I just decided to write a book. And that way people could get the book and, and I would explain as much as I could about my journey. And my caregivers, which was my older sister and my husband, they took notes every day uh -huh. while I was going through this 100 days. Okay. And that helped me put my book together because many of the days I don't remember because I was sick from chemo or a lot of side effects sure. from medications. And I didn't remember, but that helped me write my book. And now my book has gone to many, many foreign countries. I have a friend that is going through a transplant in Malaysia, and she's young. I mentor her through Facebook chats Praise late God. at night. Yeah. I talk to her. Amen. Um, so I'm really in a mentoring process now with other people because of my book. And it, it gives them hope that they can, they can get through this. Well, having had one who has been there and done that and experienced this, uh, I would think that that would be true. Tell our audience, uh, if someone is interested in getting Faith Over Fear, My Journey Through Bone Marrow Transplant, how can they get a copy of your book? How can they access this, my dear? They can actually just Google the name of the book and put my name behind it. Sherry Pratt is the only one I've written. And it's on Amazon. It's on iBooks. It's on Barnes and Noble, and it's in. It'll just come up if you Google it. It'll come up at every place where it is. Okay, and you can get it electronically also. Oh, okay, that's that's awesome to know. Uh, mm -hmm. In our closing second, Sherry, um, and I ask all of our our uh, interviews this question: What is one thing, not the one thing, but what is one thing 
that gives you hope, that stirs your hope, that uh, furnishes and fuels your hope, that may help someone listening today now that you've gotten to this point in your journey of, of being a cancer patient? What, what motivates your hope? Well, first of all, God motivates my hope because I am my trust in him and my belief in him mm-hmm. that he can heal and does heal. Um, I just believe that 50% of the battle is in your mind and you have to get your mind straight mm-hmm. and you have to have belief and faith and hope in him that he can carry you through any of your battles. Today, you have heard from Sherry Pratt, a cancer patient, uh, diagnosed originally in 2014 after receiving three opinions, uh, settling on a treatment process of a bone marrow transplant who has written a book, Faith Over Fear, My Journey Through Bone Marrow Transplant, written by Sherry Pratt. Today, we salute you and we thank you uh, for sharing your story and we thank you for being a survivor as you continue to declare the good news uh, that God is a healer. We love you and we continue to support you. Take care and have a great day. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Percy and Sherry. We'll put information about Sherry's book in our program notes, which you'll find at healthhopeandinspiration.com. If you or someone you love is fighting cancer, consider Cancer Treatment Centers of America, a comprehensive cancer care network. They treat the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Visit our website at healthhopeandinspiration.com and click on Sponsor to learn more about Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Contact one of their friendly oncology information specialists about questions you may have about your treatment options by simply calling 866-712-HOPE, 866-712-HOPE. Cancer Treatment Centers of America uses state-of-the-art technologies to deliver precision medicine, personalized care, and spiritual support. Learn more at healthhopeandinspiration.com. We got a lot of inspiration from that guest, Sherry Pratt, and her book here today. Absolutely. Uh, She wrote a book about faith over fear. And, of course, we know that any and all circumstances and most of all of our conversations that we hold, Wayne, uh, is about that scenario. How do we engage our faith to help us work through uh, the fears that come with being diagnosed with a cancer uh, uh, scenario and walking through that process? And so... Uh, you know, she had a, a, a type of blood cancer that she was dealing with. Boy, that sounds serious. Yeah, yeah. And then she talked about how initially she was mad and, mm. and, and angry and despondent and in some cases depressed. And one of the great statements that I, I extrapolated from this conversation uh, that I'm going to utilize is that she had to really deal with what was going on and going through her mental state. And she said she had to learn how to mind yeah. her mind. Yes, yes, yes. And it takes some time to do that. We have to let people respond emotionally. We can't criticize them for doing that. Yeah, and and it's a challenge. You know, I, um, I, pre- I presented a sermon many years ago, Lord, please don't leave me alone with me. Because <laughs> in many cases, we don't want to be left alone with ourselves. We don't mm-hmm. want to think about what we think about. We don't want to think about why we think about what we think about. Because if we really dig that deep into the inner chambers of our consciousness, uh, we might find some very interesting things out about ourselves that we have to be very honest with. Right. But minding your mind 
uh, being the gatekeeper of your mind. The Bible says, guard your your gates, mm-hmm. your ears, your eyes, your you know yeah, those are gates. Your heart, your heart. For from it flow the issues of life. That's correct. So we have to be mindful of what's going in and coming out of. Uh, uh, our mind and our thoughts and, and, and really monitoring that. So I thought it was a very good reminder and challenge to think about as you walk through the ja- uh, the journey and the challenge of being a cancer patient. Yeah, when we talk about minding our mind, it's important what's in our mind and to have God's word firmly in mind always helps. Well, because what what's in you will come out of you. It's very simple. So garbage in is garbage out, as they say in the computer business industry or the data industry. What, you know, what you put in, ultimately what is is coming out of you. So again, that's why I believe Joshua said that, you know, uh, we need to hide the law of God in our hearts. You know, we need to hide that word in us because there'll come a time that we'll need that and we'll need that to regurgitate that and uh, and chew on that and, and meditate upon my word uh, day and night and contemplate and allow the word of God to govern us and dictate us and drive us and lead us and hold us in place. And so, yeah, minding your mind uh, needs to become priority number one because we will need the content of what's going on in our thought life. Yeah, Sherry put it in a way that I hadn't thought of it before. She said the word is medicine. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. The word of God says to us that my word uh, is sweet like a honeycomb, that, you know, it'll be uh, medicine to your bones. And so, okay, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when we process the word of God in that frame, in that content, in that contextual framework, the word of God is medicinal to us. And again, it helps to soothe and heal. It's a bomb, the bomb of Gilead that we smear and rub upon ourselves uh, from within and then allow that to work outwardly on our best interests and on our behalf. So, yeah, the word of God being like a medicine and or like a honeycomb sweet to our souls and in our bones is necessary and needful. Because if we think about it, whatever words that we're allowing to dictate and govern our thought life, that's what that that's what dictates who we are and what we become. The old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words that never hurt me is the biggest <laughs> lie that was ever told. That's right. If we allow what is being said to us or about us to govern us, it can ultimately dictate the direction that we go into. So how have you minded your mind? What are some things you've learned during your cancer journey? Mm. That's our question of the week, and we always enjoy reading your responses to our questions. You can leave an answer at hhiquestions.com. And thanks for doing that, hhiquestions.com. What was something you learned during your cancer journey? That'll be very helpful to share on future programs. Our free resource this week is Ways to Respond to Cancer Patients. Sometimes we don't know what to say or how to respond. This can be a great guide. Uh, Percy, you put this together with some help, and and it's a terrific uh, resource for our listeners. Absolutely. And again, it'll give you just some things to think about with regard to how to basically approach and providing uh, responses to cancer patients. Again, we don't want to do just kind of rote answers or things that we heard other people that have been thrown out. So this this resource will help you to be able to have some things that will help lead and guide you with some things that you can do and say in responding to cancer patients in a very organic manner. So download this free resource at healthhopeandinspiration.com. And one more thing, when you go to that website, click on the Our Journey of Hope logo, particularly for pastors and church leaders. Click on that logo and join the Ministry Leaders Network. It's free of charge, and you'll receive resources that will help you understand how your church can get involved in a cancer care ministry. Go to healthhopeandinspiration.com. Click on the Our Journey of Hope logo at the top of the page. 
Well, when you opened the scriptures to Psalm 27 earlier, that spoke to me, and I trust to many people listening at the same time. I think it bears repeating. Well, we'll close then with that, Wayne. Uh, Psalms 27, verse 13 and 14. Yet I am confident. Uh, What are you confident about? Uh, That I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. We need to continue to remind ourselves that we're not just waiting to go to heaven, but we're going to see the goodness of God right here and right now. But there's something that is required to do that. Verse 14, we must wait patiently for the Lord, be brave and courageous, yet, yes, wait patiently for the Lord. So today, be encouraged that the goodness of the Lord is still yet for you and I to be seen while we are still yet living on planet Earth. Thanks for your help in responding to our question at hhiquestions.com. And and thanks for your reviews of this podcast, which you can leave on iTunes. This has been Health, Hope, and Inspiration. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Percy, always good to be with you. Love you to life and not to death. And I'll see you next time. But until then, remember, we've got to go chop some wood. We've got work to do. Join us again for Health, Hope, and Inspiration. Health, Hope, and Inspiration is produced and sponsored by Cancer Treatment Centers of America. If you or someone you love is fighting cancer, consider Cancer Treatment Centers of America. We treat the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Our hospitals in Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia, Phoenix, and Tulsa take an integrative approach to cancer care. We use conventional medical treatments to attack the disease while helping patients manage side effects and maintain their quality of life by using evidence-informed therapies like nutrition and naturopathic support, along with pastoral care, pain management, and other supportive care services. Treatments are tailored to each patient's specific needs. Visit healthhopeandinspiration.com to view our cancer-related resources or to contact our oncology information specialists about questions you may have about your treatment options. Working together under one roof, our cancer experts use state-of-the-art technologies to deliver precision medicine, personalized care, and spiritual support. Learn more at healthhopeandinspiration.com.